Well, good morning. I don't want to stop worshiping right now. <laughs> but thankfully, in Jesus, you know, this is also worship. Work is worship. Um, focusing on our attention on him outside of the Sunday morning worship set is worship. So um, if you are ages four, five, six, or seven, I believe this is your time to go, yes? Uh, you can go uh, join the other kids in class. Um, but for now, uh, I just wanted to talk to you uh, this morning about the heart of worship. Um, we've been in the series of the lifestyle of worship uh, that Bob kicked us off with last week. Um, a lot of really um, deep but meaningful things about what worship is and what worship isn't. And uh, so I really appreciated that. And we're just going to dive in a little bit further. You know, naturally, I've um, been leading worship for a long time. And I uh, started uh, on worship team when I was five. Uh, played a number of different instruments and started leading worship from the piano when I was 12. And then it just went from there and went different places, really impacted by um, certainly things that were happening at MFI, Generation Unleashed, and the Toronto outpouring. Seen uh, a lot of things. And... I naturally would want to talk more about kind of the instrumental part of worship, the musical worship piece. I just felt like God dropped something a little bit different in my heart for today about the heart of worship. And uh, as many things as I've seen, I don't know if you're like me, but the more things you learn in life, the more experience you have, the more things you see, the more you realize you don't know everything. <laughs> it's like the less you know, the more you know. Um, and that's really like how God's goodness and his faithfulness is. Just seeing a new facet of this song was incredible because it captures this thing like we don't know, we don't understand the greatness of God. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. And so I feel uh, in some ways a little unqualified to be even talking about this because I'm just more and more in awe as we um, go along. But um, with that said, you know, I hear often... Oh, thank you for your worship. You're great. Skylar, thank you so much for your worship. You're such a great worshiper. Um, or, you know, when we consider people to kind of uh, join the praise team, you know, one of the high values that we place on is, are they a worshiper? Um, that's what we look for, and I've said it many times. But I want to challenge that thought, that line of thinking just a little bit this morning, if I may. Because um, the truth is, we're all worshipers. Uh, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, you're a worshiper. Uh, we were born, and we were created, and we were wired to worship. That's just who he made us to be. It's the way that it we're designed. Our DNA, our heart, is going to put someone on the throne, as Isaac talked about a while back. We're made for that. So the question that I've been wrestling with, and it's been super convicting, so I was telling Tamar this morning, this message could just be from me because I have been wrestling it, but I really do think the Lord dropped it in as a timely word for us. The question today is, what are you worshiping? If we're created and we're wired to worship, we're worshiping machines, what is it that we're worshiping? And as we know, I mean, what we do here on Sunday is, is awesome. And raising your hands, it's all part of praise and worship, um, posturing our bodies to do that. But really, we're talking about the heart this morning. So last week, uh, Bob was in John 4, and he talked about Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And uh, saying that the time is coming when you won't worship Jesus on the mountain, where the Samaritans do, or in Jerusalem, where the Jews do. And he's pointing out like it's a matter of the heart. So I love the, the Passion Translation. 
Uh, don't crucify me for that. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. It says, from now on, Jesus is saying to the woman, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but of a right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of spirit and in truth. It's about the heart. It's not about, it's certainly not about Sunday morning, right? It's not about um, worship nights when we have those. It's about the posture of our hearts. It's a lifestyle. And uh, I've been, I replay this over and over in my mind. Sometimes I actually replay the audio of it, of the word that uh, was brought a while back about redigging the wells of worship. And uh, I'm so hungry and uh, desperate really for that to happen as we, as a people, go deeper and recognize the holiness of God. But I'm, I'm feeling, uh, you know, there's a word to us that it's the heart of worship, getting our heart posture right comes before we start really, really digging again. And I just have to say, you know, if we spend one day or one morning, one half hour, singing praises and worshiping, and then we take a sabbatical for six days, that's not, we're not, we're not making progress. We're not digging. We're not digging yet. It's not just picking up where we left off from last week. We got to get after it daily. And I was thinking about the wells and how they get buried. And, you know, Isaac went to uh, redig the well that Abraham had dug. And, I mean, have you thought about how they got filled up to begin with? Uh, they got filled up because no one was there using it. And the enemy came and put stones and dirt and just filled it up to full. I don't think it's easy to pull out, but thankfully in that word we heard that God's going to dig with us. And uh, so we'll do our part, he'll do his. But on the matter of the heart, David prayed, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David understood that worship was a heart issue. He didn't just dance and praise in an undignified way for an outward expression for no reason he realized that his heart had to be laid bare and exposed before God. And he was asking God, because I'll talk about this in a moment, but the heart's tricky, the heart's deceitful. He was asking God, lay it bare before me. I might not even know. So anyway, David's prayer to search me and know me is an expression of worship that says, all that I am is yours. And even in the times where he screwed up royally and he knew it and he was called to the carpet, he still prayed, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Our hearts are prone to wander. And I love the words of um, that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What an awesome prayer. What an awesome prayer. They talk about really the battleground of our hearts for our affection, for our worship. You know, we live... Obviously, in a broken world, we encounter sin on a regular basis all around us in our own lives. Some of it's easy to spot, but sin is really just missing the mark. So it can just be one degree off. And you start here in one degree, thousand miles from now, and all of a sudden you find that you're way off the mark. And, um, you know, again, our hearts are deceitful. They're sneaky, is what I wrote here. I like to say, like, They'll do things because of our emotions, 
right? Our, our affections that are to be set on God, but our heart tricks us sometimes. So they'll take seemingly good things, they'll take the gift that the giver gives and put that at the center of our heart's affection or our heart's desire. What we think about, what we dream about, maybe some of you even uh, fantasize about, it's things that uh, just sneak in and take a place that wasn't meant for those things. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Timothy Keller calls the heart an idol factory. I mean, wow, that's well said. Ezekiel's talking to God. Um, Israel was way off the rails, and the Lord was giving him a word to speak to them. And he says to the Lord, they have set up idols in their heart. Now, I usually think of idols as like, you know, the thing that we, the, the, the wood that they would carve and put up, the images that they would put in the temple even. And, uh, but what it's saying here, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, is like, this was a heart issue. Uh, Pastor Bob said last week, worship is when the posture of a heart is engaged. We are made to worship. And on that issue of idols, anyone ever wonder how on earth the Israelites went from a time of specific instruction for the temple and for worship, and somehow they ended up with idols, like physical idols and images in the temple? Multiple times the temple had to be purged. And I think it's easy for us to think, man, we're not like that. We are so much more advanced. We're better than that. But no, not a chance. I mean, they, it's, it's funny because we have the benefit of hindsight in Scripture, but they could literally see Moses on the mountaintop meeting with God, waiting for their next steps, waiting on the Almighty, and somehow they thought it was a good idea to fashion a calf out of gold. Um, it's wild, but we're not different. We're not different. Our hearts do the same thing when we're not careful and when we're not uh, maintaining the garden of our affections in our hearts. The transition is often subtle, starts with something good, with the gift, but then it just becomes easy to rest in the gift. I mean, honestly, it's easy with a team like we had this morning to just want to rest in that and forget for just a moment, like we're pointing to Jesus. Um, but this happens in our, in our daily li- lives. We get lost in the gift. The very things that were created to point glory to God are the very things that we often exalt above the one who gave the gift. I think of uh, even the early church um, that they would gather and they would uh, break bread and uh, eat at the table of the Lord. And Paul had to correct them because even in that gift of communion, he said that some were going away hungry while others were getting drunk. And um, it's just, again, so easy to take that and go the wrong direction with it. And I just want to call attention that every one of us has a capacity to insert ourselves as the focus of our worship. Every one of us has a capacity to worship the very things that were intended to point us to the only one worthy of worship. So we know that our heart is sneaky. We know that our heart is deceitful, the scripture tells us. But idols are sneaky. They'll sneak up on us. Sometimes they sound something like this. Man, God, I would really, I need that job for the income because if I just had that income, man, I could really bless the kingdom. I could advance the kingdom. Or, you know, if you're a little more uh, outlandish, maybe if you could just win the lottery. Boy, what you could do for the kingdom. But, you know, the, Jesus looks at the widow and her two mites, her la- the last that she had, with more affection and uh, 
more approval than a billionaire who gives away 90% of his wealth, but does it, but hangs on to the security of his wealth, right? And so uh, we see that in the story of the rich young ruler as well. Um, he, he wants to follow Jesus. He sees that this is the Messiah. And uh, he says, what must I do? And Jesus says, basically give it all. In this case, he was talking about money because that was at the seat of his affection. But whatever it is, he just didn't want to give it all. And C.S. Lewis puts it, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes, and all your precautions to Christ. Um, I was really impacted by uh, the scene in The Chosen uh, where Nicodemus realizes that he's looking at the Messiah in the flesh. And Jesus says, follow me. It's just a simple invitation from the most beautiful, incredible man that he had ever seen. And something in him couldn't do it because idols take root and they're, they're hard to get out. Everything created is good, right? So I'm not saying that money is bad at all. You know, sex, food, family, work, uh, wine, drink, music, the Bible, worship music. Anytime we make anything the focus of our worship other than Yahweh, that gift becomes perverted. They become idols that we set up in our heart. Think of uh, in Colossians, Paul was addressing this very thing when he said, put your minds on things above, put to death all these things. Now, it's easy to look at greed and say, well, of course, I'm not greedy. But do you have an unhealthy attachment to something in your life that's keeping you from entering into the fullness of worship that God wants to enter into with you? Like I said, even things like worship in Scripture easily can take the place of his glory. So it's our job to work inside of those things to bring him glory and honor to God where it belongs. Uh, I want to be somewhat careful how I say this. I was, because um, I'm not, this isn't to put anybody or anything down, but I was uh, looking at a, it was a worship concert, so to speak, recently, and um, a really anointed worship leader, really good stuff. It was like an album release. And uh, they start, they're worshiping, and the lights come up, and the worship leader's name shines up in big bright letters behind, behind them. And I was just, I was broken. It's, it's so easy. Now that's a more obvious example of how we put ourselves at the center, um, but it's, it can be subtle too. And I think this is something uh, the global church has to work through is figuring out how to make sure that we're not ever inserting ourselves in the place of our affection and worship. In his book, The Reset, Jeremy Riddle says, the power of worship isn't connected to any of the things or the trappings that we surround it with. The heart of worship has nothing to do with any of these things, lights, sound, video, uh, a neat pad on the piano, a cool lick that Mike plays. It's none of those things. Those are just the trappings, and we can use those things to glorify God. But worship will never become more powerful because of that because the power has never flowed from the form that worship takes. It's only flowed from his presence. So we can't let worship become about anything other than bringing him glory and praise.
It's not systems, right? I think of the Pharisees who were zealous for the holiness of God. Uh, I think what they set out to do was not a bad thing, but it became about the religion, of course, instead of worship. There's a pull for our affection. So I'm, I'm, right now I'm talking about the, the six days between now and next Sunday. There is a pull for, for our affection. And I really hesitated to use this example because I feel like it's a little cliche. But we have this phone and we have our social media. And I'm telling you, uh, it's a draw for our attention. It plants the seeds of desire, stokes a fire of ideology, constantly seeks to keep us distracted. And um, it's not bad in itself, but that's just one example of many that would we open our hearts up to the Lord to, to show us where have we exalted things, where have we done comparison, where have we been jealous, all those sorts of things. Think of anxiety. I, you know, I have had anxiety before, also a form of worship. It's magnifying our circumstance above the only one that's worthy. That's one reason actually that we sing because it's a way for us to then get out of our own anxiousness, right? And point our attention to God. And I just wanna talk for a moment about identity. So as worshipers, and remember we're all worshipers, every single one of us, we assign value and worth to things or to people that we expect to bring value to us. It's kind of the natural bent of our heart. But things and people fail us every time, right? Because it's only him, only God, who can bring us our identity, that we understand our identity in him. And really worship is connection. How we worship and who we worship is designed by our identity and how we see ourselves in Christ. We find our identity and are fulfilled as we worship God. And when I say that, I just want to make clear, it's 100% not about us. It's all about him. And yet we were made for connection. He longs for the connection with us and our hearts long for connection. That only, happen, that only happens when we surrender our hearts and worship. You'll never be fulfilled in this life except for recognize your dependence on him, your provision from him, and living in constant worship to him. I think because of our current culture that has normalized materialism and pleasure-seeking, it's easy for us to think that a little of this and a little of that won't have a huge impact on our worship. That the things that we desire won't really take root in our heart. It's okay. It's okay just a little. Just a little bit of affection there. But we do serve a jealous God. And he's jealous for our affection and our attention. He wants our hearts, and he absolutely deserves and is worthy of it all. And you can't serve two masters, as we know. There's this, uh, hopefully this isn't too sacrilegious to share, but my wife and I love the show Frasier. And uh, there's this scene that just gives me a kick every time. Um, Frasier and his colleagues are in a, uh, a weight loss competition that they're doing against another radio station. And uh, they, they're all weighing in. Everyone on the team is so excited. They've lost a pound. Someone else lost. Yeah, you can come up. 
Someone else lost three pounds. Uh, everyone's going through, everyone's lost it. And Fraser's the last one to step on the scale. And he hadn't lost anything. In fact, he had gained, I think, one or two pounds or something like that. And he just gets a death stare from everybody. And he's just completely flabbergasted and bewildered. He says, I don't understand what happened. I've added a salad to every meal. <laughs> Kills me. But honestly, that's what we do when we don't root out the idols, when we don't set, get uh, put to death the idols that we've set up in our hearts. And we simply try and add the salad of worship, so to speak, to every meal. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. God is after our whole, whole heart. Maybe you've started adding a devotional time, which is incredible. But then, you know, you spend the most important moments of your day, again, just scrolling or putting your affection elsewhere, which leads to maybe covetousness, lust, envy, jealousy, comparison. Just put that away. It's, it's, there's a simple invitation. Or maybe uh, you started uh, giving more and blessing people who need it, but you're living beyond your means still. That All of it's worship. All of it's worship. Give it to Him. I think there's a call for us this morning to an undivided heart that is set on the Lord. And it's time that we redig the well of worship, not just here on Sundays, right, but in our daily lives. So we come back to the heart of worship. And I know firsthand, it can feel scary to do that, to let go of something that seems good. You know, for me, work is the thing that um, I go all in on. I love to work. Um, but any time that it takes the place of Jesus or our, my affection being on him, it's not a healthy thing. It can easily become an idol. So even if it's scary, just remember, Paul says, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. It counts everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. One of the ways that I think that we can do this, um, this concept comes from Timothy Keller, is to rejoice in the Lord. Paul tells us to rejoice. In fact, he said it twice. Uh, it was so important. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value, to reflect on its beauty and the importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grips grip on anything else it thinks that it needs. There's an invitation for us to come back to the heart of worship today. Matt Redmond said in his beautiful song, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. So I want to close with this passage um, from 2 Chronicles. Um, you may know the story, uh, the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant had been living in the tabernacle or the tent of David, didn't have a permanent place yet. And it was in David's heart, but the Lord said that it was gonna be Solomon. So they had done it, they made it beautiful. The day came to dedicate the temple and they just sang and worshiped the Lord. And they sang that his love endures forever and the glory of the Lord fell. And it was a beautiful thing. And um, that night, Solomon is having a conversation with the Lord. 
verse 12. Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now I'm gonna pause for just a minute. Hopefully you know, you know, we don't have the temple as it were anymore. The temple now is where? Amen, yeah, it's us. We're his temple. We, we are where his presence dwells. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or the well is buried, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Where's this place again? This place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. The invitation is simple. Lay down any idols that we have set up and turn to the loving gaze of Jesus. Jesus.